Amen, amen. What a way to start the year, right? What a way to start the year, right? Okay, there you are. I wasn't sure. I was, I was nervous. Um, for those of you who don't know me, good morning. My name is Eric Solomon. I get to serve as one of the pastors in this church family, and I am glad that we are together on the first Sunday of the year. Uh, yeah. Now everything I say is going to be, I, I like it, I like it. I'm, I'm here for that. Like Pastor Hannibal said, we would love to help you get connected in community here. Whether this is your first time here or you've been checking out church over the holidays, trying to figure out why in the world do I feel like going to church now, or, or whether you've been here for decades and just haven't been able to plug in or plug back in, we'd love to help you do that. There are tables out there, people to ask questions. We'd love to help you get connected in community within this church family. As a church family, we also want to start off the year in a particular text this morning. The text we're going to be in is Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 19. And we want to start off in this text that we might together uh, be drawn by the Spirit deeper into communion with Christ. And so uh, even though you were just on your knees, I'm going to invite you to stand now. Uh, you can sit for my words, but I want you to stand for the words of the Lord. I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning, and you can follow along in your Bibles, on the screen behind me, in the glowing rectangles you brought to church. Sorry about that. People of God, would you listen to God's word for us this morning and in this new year? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and that you might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Father, like David asks in Psalm 19, I ask right now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in this moment be an acceptable, beautiful act of worship in your sight before you this morning. Amen and amen. Uh, in his poem on prayer, the, this English poet, George Herbert, attempts to capture what happens when we respond to God in prayer. He describes prayer as the church's banquet, as the soul in paraphrase, the heart in pilgrimage, Reversed thunder, which I think are beautiful ways to describe what I think happens in prayer where God is paraphrasing the very depths of our souls and leading our wandering hearts back to himself. It is in prayer that the God of order takes the thundering of life and reverses it. The, the wind, the waves, the, the storm with lightning flashing and thunder booming in our hearts finds its quiet in prayer because in prayer our hearts find their quiet in him. It is in communion with the one who made us that we find rest for our souls. In communion with the one who saved us that we learn not just who he is, but who we are and how we continue to grow into who he saved us to be. Our text this morning is a prayer that is prayed at what I would call the crossroads of this letter to the Ephesians of this letter written to a church in the first century, a, a church that is surrounded by the temples that they used to visit, the, the shops at which they used to buy their old idols, 
and a community that rioted the last time that Paul tried to preach the gospel there. You see, the church in Ephesus knew that when they believed in Jesus, they were new in Christ, but, but being new where you used to be your old self is easier said than done. And this is why Paul spends three chapters of his letter, three of the six chapters in this letter, to describe who believers are in Christ and what it means that believers are new. For, for three chapters, half this letter, Paul has a lot to say about the gospel, but he has only one command to give God's people. Remember. Remember who you used to be, that you were strangers without hope in the world, separated from Christ by your sin. Remember what Christ has done for you in the gospel. For three chapters, Paul tells us over and over again who we are in Christ by fixing our eyes on the salvation that secures our identity as children of God. And then Paul stops to pray. Right here at the end of chapter 3, he actually tried to pray at the beginning of chapter 3, but ends up interrupting himself because he wants to talk more about the gospel. And so he stops to pray again at the end of chapter 3, and he considers, he, he picks his prayer back up at verse 14, and through prayer shifts his focus from, from who believers are in Christ to how believers live in Christ. This is why I'm, I'm calling this a prayer at the crossroads, if you will. Because it is a prayer in the middle of a book that moves us from deeply understanding our identity in Christ to faithfully living out that identity in Christ. And that move, it only happens by prayer. This prayer that translates who we are to how we live is the same prayer, I think, we as a church need to meditate on and, and keep before us in this new year. It is the kind of prayer that sits at the crossroads for a church like ours at the beginning of 2024. See, maybe, maybe you're here and your relationship with the Lord, like mine, is, is dominated by your intellect. Like, this is my temptation. You, you want to know more and more about God. You want to really understand the truth. You've been to decades of Bible studies, and you already signed for the next session of Bible studies before the registration forms even became public. This prayer is for you. That you might translate all that you know in your head all the way down to your heart. Or, or maybe your relationship with the Lord is dominated by doing. Right? You think to yourself, we do not need any more Bible studies. We need more people that, that love Jesus, that, that are doing for Jesus, that are serving for Jesus. I mean, you already have the next 15 care sites planned for the next few years. You love connecting people to Jesus in conversations over and over again. This prayer is for you. That you might ground all you do with your hands in the one who wants your heart above all. Or maybe, like I mentioned earlier, you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you are, you are coming back to try to explore what that could look like. Maybe, maybe you're trying to start the year off with a, a resolution to re-examine religion. This prayer is for you. That you might be in awe of the one who loves you and that under his loving examination you might see just how far you've run and how much he has been pursuing you, whether for the first time or the 57th time. So for the next 75 minutes, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm not like Hannibal. For the rest, sorry, sorry, sorry. For as long as the Holy Spirit wants me to preach, I want us to sit with this prayer together. 
that we might not only see what Paul is praying, but that we might receive it as a prayer for each of us, as well as a prayer for all of us, that God might dwell in our hearts in 2024. I've already pointed it out, right? Paul's prayer is what's connecting our identity in Christ to our life in Christ. And he does this by making requests that are based on who God is and what he has done in Jesus so that what he has done in Jesus overflows in what he is now doing through his church. In other words, Paul's prayer is where who we are translates into how we live. But that translation only happens by the love of Christ. Which is why as we sit in this prayer, in this this translation, there are three specific connections that I want us to pay attention to. The first is Paul's request that we be strengthened. The second is Paul's expectation that the entire Christian life is rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And the third connection is that the only way we live out who we already are in Christ is in a posture of humility before the Father that allows us to be filled with the fullness of God. Strengthened, rooted and grounded, Humble and filled, and yes, I snuck five points into three. These are big, beautiful gospel realities that that at times can almost be too overwhelming to consider. I mean, Paul himself gets so caught up that he interrupts himself. He's tripping over his words just to try to explain it all. So as we sit in this prayer, my hope is that wherever you find yourself, you might see the gospel that doesn't just seek to change your eternity someday, but wants to transform your present today by the love of Christ for you, through you, and in you. So let me get into it. We'll start with that first connection. Paul makes this connection between who we are and how we live, and he starts by writing, look at your text, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Like I said earlier, Paul is interrupting himself and he's coming back to his prayer. But the reason I keep bringing that up is because the context of our passage actually reaches back past chapter 3 all the way into chapter 2. This reason, the reality that brings him to his knees is the mystery of the gospel that God is so kind that he did not restrict his promise of salvation to Israel alone. His his plan of salvation is open to all who were separated from Christ without hope, without God in the world. God is making a brand new people for himself, and it is not restricted to ethnicity or geography. It is for all who repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. That that his death on a cross counts as payment for their sin. That, That the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus is an invitation to new life in him. What brings Paul to his knees is that people who were so unfaithful to their creator are now being invited into life with him together. It brings Paul to his knees in prayer. It makes him weak in the knees, which is why Paul explains in verse 16 that his prayer is according to the riches of his glory, of God's glory. Notice the language he's using. Not out of the riches of his glory, but according to the riches. Which means that his request is in line with just how rich God is in glory. My wife and I, when we were getting married, we uh, were preparing our registry. And for those of you who know, know that that is a sanctifying experience. (laughs) And that's all on me. She was the saint. I was the sinner in that equation. But we were talking about all the things we thought we needed to start our life together. And and here was our problem. We, We wanted to be careful not to ask too much. And so when we were in the stores and with the, the scanners, she kept her cool. And naturally, I lost it. Espresso machine, I need that to follow Jesus faithfully. 
juicer necessary for my new life in Christ. What I later realized is that most of the friends we invited were just as broke as we were at that time. But there were some of our family and some of our friends that wanted to bless us. They wanted to treat us. They, 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 the espresso machine and the juicer uh, a few weeks later were marked as purchased. Someone, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> Someone, according to their riches, decided to care for us in this particular way. They ended up also buying the flower accent plates that I fought tooth and nail to not have on the registry, but that is another story. My point in telling this is that sometimes we ask God like we are the ones who have to answer our own prayer. Like it is according to our riches. We ask in small ways about small things. Instead, Paul here models for us a prayer that prays according to the riches of God's glory. In line with who God is and what he has told us he wants in his word, but according to his riches, the king of creation, the lover of our souls, wants to lavish on us the riches of his love. The same riches that have already been secured for us in Christ. And yet, like James says, we do not have because we do not ask. And here Paul asks, for what? That God may grant us, verse 16, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. You'll notice that the text actually says you in your inner being, but those are all plural. And if I could pull off y'alls, I would, but I'm not from that part of the country. Paul is asking that we, as a community of believers, be strengthened with power, not just us individually, but us together. There's, there's something Paul is asking for us that, that, that we need strength to receive, and, and not just strength, but the kind of strength that comes from power, and, and not just any power, but the kind of power that comes that is only available through the Spirit of God. And the location of our reception is not external blessings. It is something internal. Paul's first request is that they would be prepared by the Spirit, to receive what God wants to give according to the riches of his glory. He wants us to be strengthened. My daughters, they uh, love to go to the park. It doesn't matter what temperature it is, whether it's 2 degrees or 102 degrees, they want to be at the park. They love swinging, they love jumping off of all the, the jungle gym type stuff, but there's always this one section of the park that, they, they, that has this challenging attraction to them, the monkey bars. They've wanted to learn it ever since they could even climb up and touch those bars. And, and, and even when their arms were uh, not strong enough, they would try and figure it out. And then their arms would be strong enough, but then their hearts wouldn't be strong enough because they'd be afraid of, of slipping and, and falling. And my oldest would try the monkey bars every park we went to over and over again. She would grab the first bar and try and swing to the other one, lose all her momentum. Then she would learn how to keep her momentum and try to figure out her grip and then her balance and, and her strength. And as she got her strength up, she got to enjoy more of the park because she could do what she couldn't do before. This is Paul's prayer for us here. Not that we need to do something in order to get into the park of God's grace, but that he's already invited us into the park. We are already secure in Christ, in the gospel, but there is so much to enjoy. There is so much to learn, so much to grow in depths and depths to the love of Christ for you. And we need strength to receive more of his love. 
It is already ours in him, but we are still growing. And Paul is praying, not that we might go to some, some spiritual gym and grow in our muscles, but that God by his spirit would grant us strength so that we might receive what he already has for us. Not some external blessing, but an internal reality that I'll be honest, explained in verse 17 is actually quite difficult to comprehend. Verse 17, he is praying that we might have strength, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. This is the result of that strengthening. Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith. Now you might go, okay, preacher man, does that mean that Jesus doesn't live in my heart unless I'm strong enough to have him live in my heart? No, that is not what this text is saying. You see, the word dwell there is not just the, the language of live. It is the language of, of settled, of, of get up in the living room, put your feet on the coffee table, kind of dwell and live. It is the kind of language that recognizes that from the beginning, God has desired us to dwell with him. That he walked in the garden with the first humans and that we are the ones who ruined that relationship by our sin. And that even then he pursued us and, and, and set a plan in motion to save us from that sin. And, and, and his plan began by choosing a people to dwell with. That's why the Old Testament describes the tabernacle in the Exodus and, and uh, the temple in Jerusalem. Because God was making a way to dwell with his people. It's why the book of John in the first chapter tells us that the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. He came to live with us so that we might live with him, that he might dwell in us by the power of the Spirit. In fact, the, very, uh, the chapter right before the chapter we're in right now in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, it tells us that we are no longer strangers but members of the household of God. And it ends, chapter 2 ends saying, in Christ we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. Dwelling place. God is making a new temple, a new tabernacle, a new garden where he can dwell with his people. And the spirit is the architect that is making that happen. This is why Paul prays the way he does. And why this is our prayer as a church family in 2024. Not because Christ does not already live in us, but because we have been saved to live in the present and for all eternity as the dwelling place of Christ. By faith we believe, we live into the reality that our relationship with Christ is not in name only, but in the day-to-day, -day, a daily union and communion and relationship with Jesus. By faith we believe that Jesus lives in each of us and all of us together through his church. My prayer is that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit by the Father, that the, the Son might live in us, that we might believe that. If you don't already know this, God does not live in a geographic place. Right? He doesn't live in the prayer tower right out there. He doesn't live in the temple in Jerusalem. He doesn't live in any big, beautiful building you could point me to or Google. The church is not a building it is a people. It is made up of individuals whose hearts have been transformed by Jesus and are now indwelt by Jesus. It is a congregation, a group of gathered believers who have all been changed by Jesus and are together the embodiment of Christ on earth. Why do you think the Bible calls us the body of Christ? This is my prayer for us this year as a church family. That we would be strengthened with power through the spirit that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. And if you believe in Jesus, he has already made his home in your heart. But this year, what would it look like for you to receive more of what you already have in Christ? Right? This isn't just about saying that Jesus lives in me. 
This is about having everything we do, everything we say, everything we think be centered on Jesus. This is, this is Christ becoming the filter through which everything is considered. Christ who becomes the final vote on whether we do this or that. Whether we watch this or watch that. Whether we uh, entertain that thought or say that thing. Not out of legalism. Not in order to prove our worth to him. Not in order to make ourselves pleasing to him. But because we already are pleasing to him. Because he has already made us his. Because we belong to him. He is the controlling center of our lives. That is what this text is getting at. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. This is who we are. We are in Jesus. And being in Jesus, this prayer continues, means that we are both rooted and grounded. It means there's stability in Jesus, and yet that stability is not about financial security or career satisfaction or doing what makes us happy like the advertisers keep trying to sell us. No, that stability is that we are, verse 17, rooted and grounded in love. Paul is here like taking a breath from his requests and inserting a reminder before he moves on to his next request. We, we need strength in our inner being in order to enable a deeper relationship with Jesus, one that surrenders control of our entire lives to Jesus. But there's something else we need because God is showing us here that life with him is true life. It doesn't fool around with the fake promises of more and bigger. It, it stands confidently on the truth that life with the lover of our souls is true life and everything else is a bad copy. That life in him is rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. You see, Paul is, is here using an agricultural and an architectural illustration to communicate where we find our life, in, in the love of Christ. It is the love of Christ that, that is the soil that gives us life. It's what enables our roots to run deep because only in that soil is their true life. It is the love of Christ that is our only firm foundation. It is the only thing that our life in Christ can be built on. If we build it on anything else, we will not be stable. I heard this from someone who um, works with, with trees and agriculture and stuff like that. So I don't know if it's right or wrong. If I'm wrong, my email is hrodriguez at wheatonbible.org. Um, but I heard it said that trees, uh, the, the really tall trees, the ones that like, you push against and they don't even bend or move or sway, have a root system that is as deep as they are tall. That, that, that doesn't spread all the way out but goes deep into the soil that the reason you can't move them is because of how deep those roots go. I didn't know that houses were built on uh, concrete foundations until our first house. And I didn't know how deep those go until we had a crack in our foundation and water started coming in, and my wife cut through the drywall. She's the handy person in our relationship, don't judge me. <laughs> she cut through the drywall to figure out what's happening, and, and it, the, there was more concrete than I imagined. And then I realized I was also standing on concrete in our basement, so there was more concrete below me to stabilize this house that we call home. Our life in Christ cannot be sustained by merely knowing more about God. It is only sustained by truly knowing God and his love for us in Christ. This is the way roots run deep and foundations get poured. Because this isn't just about head knowledge. This is about experiential knowledge, which requires head knowledge, or else you can go off the deep end trying to experience all sorts of different things. But head knowledge is not enough. 
we don't just strive to know more about God. We strive to know God in relationship, and we do that by understanding his love for us in Christ. It's why Paul says that rooted and grounded in love, his prayer is that we, in verse 18, might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. There's that prayer for strength again. Only this time it is a strength to comprehend, to, to grasp, to grab hold of. The, the language here is not just about understanding intellectually, but, but really wrapping our minds and our hearts around. It is, it is a reality that requires strength in our inner being, not just intellect to understand. It, it is also a reality that requires strength together rather than alone, right? Notice what he says, with all the saints. This year, our prayer is that God would dwell in our hearts together as a church family. Experiencing deeper communion with Jesus is not only about going off on our own, just us and Jesus, some kind of spiritual retreat, although there's room for that, and we should consider what that would look like for ourselves. But if it is only that, and I need you to hear me on this, church, if your relationship with Jesus is just you and Jesus, you're not being biblical. You are not experiencing the true relationship with Jesus that he wants for you. If we think that our life in Christ is about me and Jesus against the world, then I am mistaken. Then I am missing one of the most important ways in which Jesus relates to us, through his church. With our church family, we experience, the text says, true and full communion with Jesus because with all the saints, we can comprehend what cannot be contained. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth. This, this love of Christ that crosses geopolitical boundaries like they didn't exist. That treats racial barriers as if they were real barriers to destroy rather than divisions to ignore or walls to respect. When we bought that house I keep talking about, we didn't have a fence. Our backyard had this, this, this huge hedge that, that showed where our property stopped and the neighbors began. And yet that hedge did not stop our neighbor's dog from crossing the boundary line and enjoying our yard for herself. That hedge was permeable. It marked difference, but it did not become division. And, and the prayer of Paul here is a reminder that the love of Christ restricts our tendency to pray for a hedge of protection against those God has called us to love. I don't think you got that. The prayer of Paul is a reminder that the love of God restricts our tendency to pray for a hedge of prote protection against those God has called us to love. It is the love of Christ that roots us and grounds us in Christ that is so expansive that it reaches out to all the earth and down into the depths of our hearts that is so big that we need strength to even begin to wrap our lives around it in order to grasp it. What it truly means to love one another as I have loved you. And yet as impossible as that sounds, Paul is still not done praying. Because in verse 19, he continues praying that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. To know what is unknowable is the basic idea of that request. Right? Paul is asking God to give us the strength through his spirit that at the depths of our souls, we would not only be able to comprehend the incomprehensible, to grasp what is ungraspable, ungraspable but that we might be able to know what is unknowable. 
to know experientially in our day-to-day living what is beyond our ability to know. Paul is talking about a deeper knowledge than we've ever had, that we might know that which goes past all kinds of knowledge. He is praying that everyone who loves Jesus might know him in a way that goes beyond any expected ways of knowing and experiences the kind of relationship where you can just enjoy being in each other's presence. Church family, when was the last time you enjoyed being in God's presence? If I may, did you know that you can enjoy that whenever you want? Because Christ lives in you. You can confess your sin and receive the forgiveness that God offers whenever you want. You can pray and have immediate access to the throne room of God because Christ lives in you. You can open your Bible and have immediate access to God's revelation to us. You can visit with another believer and receive the love, grace, mercy, and joy of the Lord in a conversation with another Christ-indwelt, spirit-strengthened believer. You can experience the comfort of Christ and the conviction of the Spirit in a conversation with another disciple of Jesus every single Sunday if you would stick around, grab a cup of coffee, and ask a question. Church, too often we settle for a mediocre relationship with Jesus because we don't ask, we don't try, because we think that it needs to happen on some kind of mountaintop, that we need to have a seminary degree or some pastor to mediate the presence of the Spirit of God. This prayer teaches us that who we are in Christ translates to how we live in Christ by the power of the Spirit, grounded in the love of Christ, with all the saints pursuing the incomprehensible and the unknowable. That who we are in Christ translates to how we live in Christ by the power of the Spirit, grounded in the love of Christ, with all the saints pursuing the incomprehensible and the unknowable. And that kind of stuff, like the text says, stops being incomprehensible and unknowable because the Spirit is what's giving, He is giving us the strength to grasp what fills all of creation with the love of Christ. Don't miss out because you are trying to live your life in Christ alone. Live it with your brothers and sisters in Christ in this family. And yet, even as I encourage that, The only way that's going to happen here in 2024 is if we make the connection that Paul makes from the beginning and the end of his prayer. And so here on my third and final point, I promise. This will only happen if we realize that we need to be humble and filled. This is how Paul frames his prayer and why he begins where he does and ends where he does. Because the humility that leads us to kneel before the Father is exactly what enables us to be filled with the fullness of God. Let me explain. Go back to the beginning of our text, verse 14, where Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The prayer he prays is prayer on his knees. It is a prayer that is prayed before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, which is a description of authority, of source, of of connection. You see, naming in the ancient world was kind of a big deal. It wasn't just about the meaning of names. Exorcists would seek to find out the name of demons to control them. Prophets would name their children as messages from God. 
God himself shares his name not just as an identifier but an authorizer in the book of Exodus. When Moses, wondering what he's going to do, asks, well, when they ask who sent me, who shall I tell them? And God reveals for the first time his personal name. Tell them that I am has sent you. Paul is praying before the Father who is the source of every family in heaven and on earth. The God who deserves not just respect but reverence and not just deference but worship. And Paul prays in a position that communicates not only who God is but who he is before God. He is the one who kneels. As we begin 2024 and, and, and seek deeper communion with God, I, I'm encouraging us to not only recognize who God is, but who we are before him. We, we kneeled in the middle of this, this service to pray together, not just as some kind of show, but as a testimony, not just to everybody else, but to our own hearts that keep trying to claim the throne of God in our lives for themselves. We testified by kneeling that we are not in charge, that we are not kings, we are not queens, we are the ones who kneel before the Father. Not just in prayer, but with our whole lives. Communion with God is not just about having the strength to comprehend and know, but the humility that kneels before the one who loves us. The only one who can save us, the one who names us as his. You are his creation. He loves you with, with a love that cannot be contained, this text says. He doesn't retreat from us in our sin, church. He moves towards us that we might know the kind of love that, that we can't hide from in condemnation or run from in shame. The kind of love that by breadth and length and height and depth is already in the dark corners that we tend to run to, knowing that we are naked and ashamed but loving us anyways. His love finds us and his love fills us. And this is why Paul begins kneeling but ends with filling. He prays that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Which is a big, bold, beautiful gospel claim. And the best way that I can think of showing you what it means is to share what I learned from a pastor named Brian Chappell, who uses the illustration of an ocean to try to describe this. If we were to try to visit the ocean... And yes, I mean the ocean, not the lake that you think looks like an ocean that's better because it's salt-free and shark-free. No, the real ocean. And we were to take a jar and plunge it beneath the surface of the waves. That jar would be full. It would be full with the fullness of the ocean. Now, it could not contain the ocean, but it is full, and it is full with what can only be described as the ocean, which is, I think, the closest I can get to what Paul is praying here. He's not praying that, like the Romans and Greek mythology around them at the time in Ephesus, that, that we would somehow become divine, that somehow Christians could become little g-gods. He is not praying that somehow all of who God is can be contained in our hearts, even if we were strengthened. After all, who could contain the ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God? What he is praying is that like that jar by the strength that the Spirit provides, rooted and grounded in the love that Christ shows us, we would be filled to the brim with God, with who he is and what he is like. And you know why that's even a possibility for us? Because of what Paul prayed in verse 17, that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. In fact, Paul actually writes something really similar in another letter that's really close to Ephesians called Colossians to another church. 
And in that first chapter, in verses 19 through 20, he writes this. In him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. In Christ, the fullness of God dwells. And Paul prays that in our inner being, Christ might dwell. In our hearts, through faith, the, through strength, stabilized and sustained by love, the fullness of God dwells in us because Jesus dwells in us. And yes, that should blow your minds. Yes, that should lead you to worship. It should overwhelm your hearts. It does to Paul. Because in the two verses that come after our text, Paul writes this. It's like he finishes and immediately turns to worship the Lord. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Do you know why we tell you, ask you to read your Bible, to pray, to, to worship, to sing, to serve? It's not just because we have some secret list that we're checking off for all of you. It's not because we want to give you a list to make sure you did all your Christian tasks. It is because what it means for Christ to dwell in your hearts is that you grow in relationship with him. And how do you grow in relationship with someone that you don't spend time with? How do you know how much he loves you if you don't read about how much he has told you he loves you? How do you not recognize the amazing thing he's doing in the gospel, in the church, by putting people together that, that some of us wouldn't even say hi to each other on the streets if it wasn't for Jesus? The prayer is that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. And one of the reasons that we are ending uh, our service, not just in singing, but in communion together, is because this table is a physical, visual representation of what we're talking about in this prayer. It's why we call it communion. That at this table together, we worship as a church family because we want to start not just in prayer, but in prayer around the table of Jesus where he reminds us all that he did for us and that he is able to do way more than we could ever imagine. We want to draw close to Jesus this year. This is our prayer. This is my prayer for all of us. And the scriptures teach that one of the primary ways that happens is at this table together where all of us are called to repentance, to remembrance. Because at this table, we are not perfect. We are sinners in need of salvation. And, and, and then this morning, if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus yet, well, then this table is for you, but not how you might think. My encouragement to you is that you might not eat the bread and drink the cup, but that you might see past them to the Savior that they point to the one who loves you, the one who died for you, who gave his life for you. And if you're not sure how to do that, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, if you want to continue the conversation, come talk to me after the service. Anybody that's on this platform, anybody out there in the, at the tables, we would love to help you continue that conversation. But if you're here and you believe in Jesus, then this table is also for you. It is for us as believers in Christ. As we eat and drink, we might remember just how much it cost God to save us. Just how much he loved us, that he was willing to do that for us, to go on a cross and die for us. And so as we eat and drink before we uh, 
uh, uh, step into that and, and receive his grace together, I want us to take a moment to pause to recognize how far we were from Jesus and what it cost him to bring us home. Let's take a moment to confess and to remember in silent prayer together. God of grace, this morning we kneel before you because you deserve all of our worship. You are the one who overflows with grace. And so we humbly confess our sins before you. We are broken before you. We confess what we have done and what we have left undone. We ask for your forgiveness. And we are grateful for your salvation. And together we receive your grace and proclaim your gospel as we eat and drink this cup. We pray trusting in you, Jesus. Amen. Well, I, I want to invite you to open the side that has the bread, and I want us to take a moment and hold it up together as a reflection that we eat at this table together because of what Jesus has done. You see, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 24, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat and remember together. Let's open the cup and raise that cup together again. See, Paul continues in that same chapter saying, in the same way also Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink and receive his grace together. Glorious God, you tell us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death until you come. Every time we do this, Lord, we proclaim our trust in you. And as we receive what you have for us this year, we declare that we trust you. Whatever you give is good. Whatever we rejoice in, grieve, suffer through, celebrate, is an opportunity to draw us closer to you. Would you comfort those in this new year who are already feeling the weight of pain? Would you remind those who are already feeling the pull of shame, remind them of your gospel love? Would you draw us closer to you this year? Would you convict those of us who are tempted to forget you in, in our joy and our celebration? We pray to you knowing that you are able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to your power at work within us. And so we pray that you might receive all glory here in this church and in Christ Jesus all over the world, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Please stand.
to sing.